Hi, hello, and welcome to a new episode of Release. I'm your host, Adriana, and I'm so honored and grateful that you've taken the time to listen to what I have to say. And today, I have a guest! Say hi, guest! Hey, my name is Mariam. Oh yeah, my name is Mariam, and I'm a black child and um, family therapist here in Ottawa. Ah, thank you! (laughs) So today, we are going to talk about being black and as we know it is black history month happy black history month happy black history month um we're gonna talk about that experience in regards to mental health and what it looks like for people that look like us to exist in different spaces so um i asked on instagram what some people some questions they had and one of the questions was do you have any grounding techniques for when you're having bad days for sure so something i always tell my clients is uh something called i call padding so if you know you're going to have a busy day a hectic day a day where you're going to see that person you don't like or you have to (laughs) deal with that thing you didn't want to deal with Mm -hmm. treat yourself that day definitely so whether that is like for example um on tuesdays is a really really hectic day at my job because uh one of the places i work is a teen um a teen therapy center so tuesdays is our walk-in day and i know like tuesdays Mm -hmm. is always like you never know where you're gonna get like Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. one week we had a kid that was like homicidal yeah feeling homicidal Mm -hmm. had um having to deal with kids where we need to like take them to chio event um chio is the children's hospital take them to chio immediately so all different types of things i always make sure that day i get some like one of my favorite breakfasts <laughs> so i always what is it um i like going to tim hortons and getting a i know so canadian of me um <laughs> like going to tim hortons they have um only certain tw- tim hortons has a jalapeno and asiago bagel so oh. i always because not every tim hortons has it so i go out my way and i go to the tim hortons that i know has it and i get a bunch of bagels mm-hmm. and um i always eat one before i go in go okay in. Okay, do and you I make cream cheese? Oh, of course. I okay, it. oh, okay, it's making I'm, I'm not a psychopath. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I always go get, um, uh, yeah, my jalapeno bagel with cream cheese and always get a uh, chai latte. Oh, okay. And I usually go to another place to get chai lattes, usually like Starbucks or something. Okay, yeah. But, um, you know, and I say that to say that the importance of self care, that. You know, it's important to fill your days up with positive things when you especially, especially when you know that you're going to have kind of a stressful day or a day that, you know, I don't like uncertainty. And I know that uncertainty is one of my triggers. Mm -hmm. If you already know that, you know, it's very likely that you'll get triggered that day. Mm -hmm. So just really assess, like, what do you like? What brings you joy? Even if it's a little thing, like something that I do every Friday, every payday, mm-hmm. I go, I go on a little shopping spree. Of like course. I, I go to Rideau Center and like I always get like earrings, a hat, some lotion, some like this past Friday, I went to go get the Fenty, uh, they have a, um, what's it called? A toner. Okay. Cause my skin has been really dry because of the winter. Mm-hmm. So I went to go get myself a Fenty toner. Like, I yeah, that. I could have gone to like Farmer Pre and gotten something cheap, but no, That's I'm going to go treat myself and go. Yeah. And um and I feel like, you know, when people say self care, people always think like, Oh, you have to like take a bath and Uh like go get a massage and things like that. And I think that is capitalism trying to make us think (laughs) everything goes back to capitalism. Trying to make us think that taking care of ourselves is this huge, impossible, like expensive task Mm -hmm. when actually taking care of ourselves are doing little things to make sure that we're gonna be okay later. So, like, it doesn't have to be shopping or even spending money. Maybe on your really uh, hard days, you sleep in a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, um, I start work a little later on Tuesdays. Mm-hmm. So, I, I sleep in, like, all the way through to, like, 10 o'clock. Oh, Maybe your self-care is taking a cab to work that day, just so you don't have to, like, deal with the crappy metro system. Oh, yeah. So, just anything, like, that makes your day even a little bit easier. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Hope that helps. Um, it does actually. 
um, it's it's putting things into perspective for me because even you talking about um, capitalism makes me think of people saying like, oh, I can't do this because it's going to make me lazy or Mm. people are going to assume that I'm not working hard enough Mm. or I'm not um, reaching the expectations that they have created for me. But in reality, laziness is not real. Yeah, It's a capitalistic um thing that's been created to make us think that we have to be always on go mode but your body needs rest your body's not lying to you when you're tired exactly and this what you're saying even reminds me of like something i saw by i think it's called like the nap collective on um, instagram Mm -hmm. and the nap collective is a is an organization where they prioritize rest self-care things like that Mm -hmm. especially for black people okay because you know Black people and indigenous people, people uh-huh. who have been enslaved, uh-huh. you know, labor was literally on our backs. The creation of these countries were literally on our backs, uh-huh. on our hands, on our feet, all of these different <laughs> yeah. things. And rest is the direct opposite of doing those things. Mm-hmm. So by capitalism telling us that, oh, you black person, you indigenous person, you woman, you minority, mm-hmm. you always have to work. You all, like, you're not allowed to be tired. Mm-hmm. That's just feeding more into mm-hmm. capitalism. So rest intentional rest um being quote-unquote lazy um (laughs) napping taking your time that goes directly against what capitalism sees our bodies as doing that's so that is why i prioritize rest relaxation self-care joy things Mm -hmm. like that because capitalism they don't want us to be joyous they don't want us to have peace. They don't want us to take care of ourselves, take care of our families, because they want us to be, you know, kind of mindless, whatever robots. Yeah. If we think for ourselves, they can't control us. Exactly. No. Um, and for me, my grounding techniques. Yeah. Um, I try my best when I feel... Or I try to create a routine, a ritual. I'm sorry, routine yes. ritual are different. I try to create um, a ritual of meditating and practicing mm. um, stillness yeah. and being able to find that still place when I need it. So deep breathing mm. when I need it, um, journaling definitely when yeah. I need it, getting all of those emotions out. Um, definitely talking to somebody who understands it doesn't have to be like a professional someone you trust exactly um even if you have nobody physically around you journaling is definitely that can be that for you or you can just shout out to the heavens you may not (laughs) even believe in something shout out and be like hey if there's anybody there i need to talk just yeah yep wherever there's an ear please i need it and like it may sound it may sound stupid but it definitely it definitely helps i don't think it's stupid at all you know i think especially like as black women Mm -hmm. uh, we're told that you know we have to take on everybody else's problems definitely strong black woman especially Uh, a strong black woman uh, that you have to take on everybody else's problems and there's just simply no room for your problems or like not even problems but for you you know whether that is like problems or joy or anything so just really being like i love telling black people be selfish Mm. because never Mm -hmm. in history have we been allowed to be selfish Mm -hmm. have we been allowed to just think about ourselves and think about our families Mm -hmm. like be be selfish there's nothing wrong with it like you know if you're a little bit late they're gonna be fine (laughs) (laughs) if you're a little bit late they're gonna be fine yeah like you know, nothing is ever that serious is no. how I, you know, something that I've grown to to really appreciate about life. Yeah. Like, because when you really think about it, like, you know, at the end of the day, you really need to preserve yourself because if there's not you, there's not the things you can do. Exactly. And you're way too valuable. And the yes, definitely way too valuable. And I remember there was a situation. Hmm. Um, I don't know if I've spoken about it on here, but um, I had a job. And I was picking up a shift. It was I remember it was a Friday. I didn't work on Fridays. And mm-hmm. I saw, like, in this group chat, this girl was like, I need someone to come cover my shift. I'm not feeling well. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I was working in food. And they were saying, or she was saying that she's, like, throwing up. This is, like, COVID. So mm-hmm. she's, like, not feeling well. She's around food. She's around customers. I'm like, anything can happen. Like, exactly. that's not safe. 
so um i'm asking her like in like a private chat like are you okay blah 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 she's like i know it's not covid but i just don't feel well like i need to go home but the manager's not letting me go home until um he's done doing what he's doing i was like excuse me no. no, there's absolutely no way that you have a an employee that's sick and you're like, no, you have to stay until there's somebody else. Like, why can't he cover it? Yeah. Anyway, um, come to find out that this man is was interviewing another person while this girl is sick in the bathroom, mm. literally replacing her as she's putting out her whatever. Exactly. So I called and I was like, I'm not coming in. Because you guys don't know how to treat your employees. So there's no way that I'm going to... I don't feel comfortable yeah. being there today. And um, I talked to the manager. said the same thing, whatever. And he was like, okay, if you don't come in because it's really busy today, then you like are telling me that you quit. I was like, okay, cool. All because right you don't value your employees. Exactly. So why would I feel comfortable working under a white man that I know oh. is on a right power there. trip already. He's paid so much more than you, probably. Oh my god. And does nothing. Mm. Sits in it. I'm not going to say he does nothing. But he's not doing the work that requires the up and down and the stress mm. and the he's the filling up yep. he's filling out papers he's mm-hmm. talking to cuz like he's not doing the things that we're doing so definitely pay attention to the places you're comfortable in yeah definitely definitely yeah for sure like cuz something i've definitely learned in um so i just graduated with my masters and before that I was a teacher and um, I was a teacher pre pre COVID and that was horrible. I was not doing self care, mm. not prioritizing myself. And then um, COVID happened. Mm-hmm. And if I learned anything from that whole time is that they will replace you. Oh, they easily. Really do, they do not care about you. Mm-hmm. So you have to you have to prioritize yourself because mm-hmm. these bosses they won't. Because, like, even look at places like Chipotle. Like, part of the reason why they close down every whatever many times is because they keep making sick employees come in when they shouldn't be coming in. And then then the whole thing shuts down eventually just because one day you couldn't handle someone coming in. It's not worth it. And then a bunch of other people get sick in the process. It's like the... What they're willing to give up is just not worth it. Like, they don't see you as a life. They exactly. see you as... Or a person. They see you as just an as employee. An, exactly. Like, even as a student. Like, mm-hmm. being a student and working, they don't... They'll say, like, on the interview, school is so important. Yeah. But when it comes down to it, if there's a... Is there, if it's, you're busy or the um place is busy mm-hmm. and you tell them i have to study for this exam they'll still call you and be like exactly. can you come in for this amount of hours whatever mm-hmm. it's definitely not worth it yeah that's why i really appreciate my jobs now like mm-hmm. my jobs like i feel like i have two different jobs doing the same thing uh, being a <laughs> child therapist and i there's never ever a problem with me taking off ever mm-hmm. i've never experienced that even as a teacher because mm. teachers have so much pressure to come in every day yeah, and all these different things. And I feel like my bosses now, they stick up for me. Mm. When, like, if um, a client's parents is like, hey, where's where's Miriam? They're like, she's sick. Yeah. She's she'll she'll contact you when, she's get, when she gets back. Yeah. And that's the end of the story. Fair. Rather than, Miriam, you need to come in and do, 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 do. And, you know... And especially, you know, the work I'm doing is such precious work. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I don't think my kids would even want to see me if I'm sick. They wouldn't. They'd pick they pick up they, on the energy. Exactly. They'll pick up on the energy. They'll know I'm not listening. Mm-hmm. They'll know that, you know, I'm not my best. They'll be worried about me when mm-hmm. I'm supposed to be the one worried about them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Choose yourself every time, y'all. Every single time. Choose yourself. Your peace over everything. She, uh, every single thing. Say that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the next question yeah. is how do you find strength in moments of darkness? In moments Ooh. where you're low, what can you reach out to? What yeah. coping mechanisms do you have for those? So sometimes um this may be controversial maybe you'll disagree <laughs> but uh lately i've been kind of embracing sitting in the muck 
So oh yes, definitely. Just feel really, your feelings. Just f- really feel the feelings mm-hmm. that like. Because sometimes you just need to feel hopeless. <laughs> like yeah. sometimes you need those moments of help- hopelessness to know that like you know that maybe the issue is not as big as you think or maybe the issue is just as big as you think mm-hmm. and just like validate yourself in that way mm-hmm. yeah we're living in really crappy times like Very. i remember when was it oh, it was over the summer mm-hmm. uh so i'm from the states mm-hmm. and you know the states is mm-hmm. and um this summer the buffalo shooting happened at the oh. grocery store that mm-hmm. was in a predominantly black area mm-hmm. and i have friends that live in buffalo mm-hmm. um friends that have gone through buffalo things like that so that shooting was really really particularly hard and okay yeah i uh this is when i was doing my internship mm-hmm. to be um to become a counselor yeah and i just took that day off of course to, to really just sit in the you know all the feelings that I was feeling, like I was feeling guilt because it's like, oh, how dare I live in Canada mm-hmm. when everyone I know and love is in America and yeah. like they're going through all this like gun violence mm-hmm. bullshit and survivors all this kind of guilt. exactly so yeah. you know sitting in my survivor's guilt, mm-hmm. sitting praying for the families and praying for the people because mm-hmm. like even just seeing the pictures, you know. Like reminds me of people that I know. Yeah. Reminds me of people that I love, communities I'm a part of, things like that. Mm-hmm. So I think one part of even getting over is just sitting in it. Oh yes. That you know, accepting that like, holy shit, like this is happening. Mm-hmm. This is happening. This terrible thing happened to me. It's happening around me because I think when we try so hard to move through it, mm-hmm. we don't really sit with how impactful. Or, like, we try to minimize how, like, what it is. Like, it's not normal that shootings are happening all the time in the Mm -mm. U.S. That's not normal. No other country has that. Mm -mm. It's not normal that, you know, um, let me even think. Like, it's not normal that the the high degree of police brutality, especially to black and brown bodies, that it happens. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not normal that you're expected to focus on turning in papers, reading a book, all these different things, Mm-mm. when people are dying in terrible, terrible people ways. People that look like you. People too. that look like you mm-hmm. and think like you and maybe were a part of your community mm-hmm. are dying and suffering in such terrible, terrible ways is not normal. So I'm all for sitting in the muck. But, you know, there's definitely a, a fine line between sitting in the muck and, and letting it overpower you. So Definitely, yeah. Um, Something that I always do after sitting in the muck is reaching out to people that I love. Mm-hmm. So really, like, surrounding myself with community, going out. I mean, that's how we even met. We met at a protest. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, just really just connecting with people as much as possible. Not saying you have to talk about the thing, but, you know, I, I think, you know something about me is I always tie everything back to how much I hate capitalism. <laughs> but capitalism, you know, that's the buzzword. Yeah. Like, capitalism works to try to ind- individualize us to mm-hmm. making us think that, like, oh, this thing that happened over here to someone that looks like you, someone that reminds you of someone you love, all these different things has nothing to do with you and should impact yep. you. Where, in fact, I think everyone should be impacted by like these unnecessary deaths i feel like we're numb to it as a society though we are numb to it because you looking at it or me looking at it and seeing somebody that i can identify with and be like that could have been my brother my sister my uncle my aunt my friend myself myself exactly Mm -hmm. but then the other people that don't look like that they feel like Mm. okay another person has died people die all the time why Mm -hmm. is it so important when in reality it's like it should impact everybody it really should and it's like the way that they die too like it's not just oh an accident sometimes it's very deliberately done Mm -hmm. by someone who is in a place of authority yeah and and that's the thing that like and i think it's because so many people like you know so many white people and white passing people Mm -hmm. it is not documented as maybe as well Mm-mm. But they're dying from this too. They are, and that's the and that's the the thing. Like either, and I think people are always impacted by it. Whether it's like, oh shit, the shooter looks like me, or I look like the person who got shot, or that's I identify true. it. And I think 
people try so hard to act like, oh, that would never happen to me. Mm-hmm. That would never, all these different things. But mm-hmm. if you look at all these, I mean, uh, my scope is around the U.S. because I'm from the U.S. I spent most of my life there. Mm-hmm. Like, when these shootings happen in the U.S., they happen to everybody. Yes. And we, and the thing is, like, the, the things that's reported the most are these big shootings. We're not even talking about, like, the small incidental shootings that happen, like, random acts of violence mm-hmm. things like that like um i have a good friend her boyfriend they're white mm-hmm. that he was caught up in a random act of violence oh, okay. and he was shot oh. and like even though if you look at him you'll think like oh he has so much privilege or like like cuz he's like a tall attractive looking like white guy mm-hmm. and like just looking at him you wouldn't know like, the amount of trauma his mind and his bodies went through. Mm-hmm. And it's because, I don't know, I think it's because, like, people don't see people like him as being impacted by gun violence. Mm-hmm. It's like, gun violence is a person of color thing. That's but, true. like, now, these days, like, the leading cause of death in the U.S. for kids is gun violence. Mm-hmm. And it's not just, like, black or brown kids. It's all kids. And it's also, like, the fact that the guns are so... There are so many stories of mm-hmm. kids who find their yep. parents' guns. And mm-hmm. and it goes back to the people that see this happening mm-hmm. and see people mourning. And they have a solution. Mm-hmm. But they just can't take the... They just can't be like, okay, we just... Mm-hmm. No more. Yeah. They can't say, like, no more. Because I feel like power yes. and whiteness makes them look like they're above it. Mm-hmm. Like that, their whiteness will save them. Mm-hmm. But that, the, like, this happens to other people, not my people. Ex- yeah, exactly. And the thing is, is like the more that people like that are disillusioned mm-hmm. about the issue of gun violence and don't see themselves in community with the people who are like with people that you see like on the TV, these big shootings, or like, mm-hmm. like for example, Tyree, the the fact that mm-hmm. people do not see the him also as community is a part of the problem. Cause like, I remember when um, uh, the the shooting in Massachusetts happened or no, in Connecticut that happened, mm-hmm. like the, the white kids in, um, and the teacher, it was like, uh, 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 I forgot it was, Sandy Hook. Mm-hmm, when mm-hmm, Sandy Hook mm-hmm, happened, mm-hmm. Like, I feel like that was the first time that I saw white people really mourn um, mm-hmm. a gun violence. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it obviously was because it was white kids. Yeah. And for me, I felt that shooting as much as I feel all the other shootings. Because they're still kids. Because they're still kids. They're still people. Mm-hmm. They're still, like, all, like I think, because I will never forget that day. I was in 11th grade. I was going to uh, my world history class. Mm-hmm. And... Our teacher told us, and we didn't do anything that day. We just talked, we just kind of sat in silence and just cried. Because... Yeah. could have been your school. Like, it you been, were at it school. It could have been, been my school. It could have mm. been, like, the school down the street. It could have mm-hmm. it, it been all these different things. Like, mm-hmm. and... And it's... And I think it goes back to your question. Like, when all these terrible things are around you, how do you cope? Um, community, remember, uh, try to really, like stick around the people that you love and tell them really how you feel sit in the muck with the people you love um but it's it's not easy but i think the key thing is not pretending it doesn't impact you because i think a lot of people we try so hard to get over get over get over we forget to go through and like it's Mm -hmm. the importance of going through is that like and i tell this to my clients all the time if you're not able to to even acknowledge your emotion, you're not going to be able to control it. I was going to say, if you don't sit down and understand and kind of, as you said, sit in the muck, like sit root it up and say like, okay, I'm feeling this. Mm-hmm. Why am I feeling this? Yes. When have I felt this before? Yes. And working through, you have to be connected to yourself to really understand and feel your feelings. That's the only way you're going to exactly. um, feel your feelings. And that's the only times... I think that I've had any kind of breakthroughs when it has come to mm-hmm. um, dealing with dealing with things. Yeah. Sitting with it. Yeah. So yeah. I would say, yeah, sitting with it, um, talking to other people um, about it. Do not isolate yourself. Because mm. back to capitalism, capitalism works because 
it it tries to treat people as individuals instead of people who come from a community. Mm-hmm. Everyone comes from a community, period. Yeah. Everyone's a part of a community, period. Yeah. And the importance of connecting with community, whether that is in person, online, both matters. Yeah. And like no matter how you create community and just not isolating yourself yeah. when you do feel terrible. Yeah. yeah. I feel like there's um a lot of shame when it comes mm. to asking for help. Definitely ask, especially as a black person. Yes. Like it feels like, oh, I should be able to yep. um I've all I've heard so many people tell me and I've experienced it too of being told, Well, why are you depressed? You have this, 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 mm. this, this. There's no reason for you to feel this way. And it's like that. Exactly. First of all, these are my feelings. Exactly. Um, I am not controlling them. Mm-hmm. I am feeling them and they're not lying to me. Exactly. So I need you to just listen to me. I'm speaking up because I feel like mm-hmm. I need help. Period. Yeah, and I think the other part is that people don't know exactly how to um, be there for each other in a way that is impactful. And I I tell this to the parents that I work with that a lot of times as adults, as we grow up, we become very solutions-oriented. Like, oh, you're sad? Let me do this. Oh, you're mad? Oh, we got to do this. Instead of like, yeah, of course you're sad. Yeah, Of course you're sad because this, this, and this happened. And just really sit in the muck with them. And it's uncomfortable. It's not easy. Mm -hmm. But like, it just shows, like sitting in the muck just shows like your resiliency and your ability to sit with the feeling. Because if you can't sit with the feeling, you can't overcome it. Exactly. That, that's it exactly give yourself space to grieve and also i think another thing is like the as a society we don't value emotional intelligence we don't value <laughs> um connecting with people in that way mm-hmm. and like the, the thing about emotional intelligence is that like you need emotion every emotion that we have is necessary oh, definitely. and when we sit in our emotions when we acknowledge them that lets our brain knows, let our body know that this emotion is important and it's legitimate. Mm-hmm. So the moment that you try to get over or solve or things like that, mm-hmm. you're subconsciously telling yourself or telling the person that you're trying to help mm-hmm. that your emotion doesn't matter. You just need to get over it. Mm-hmm. Rather than like what caused this emotion, of course you should be sad if this shooting happened and mm-hmm. the people for some like you feel in community with them. Of course you should be sad that it's cold as hell outside and you're thinking about Mm -hmm. all the homeless people who are outside of course you should be Mm -hmm. sad of course you should be angry of course you should be all of these things and i feel like there's so much shame around Mm -hmm. these negative emotions that we try to psych ourselves out of not believing not believing it um kind of uh, gaslighting ourselves Mm -hmm. all these different things and all that does is like messes up your psyche yeah which causes physical um repercussions causes more trauma just putting yourself through more pain exactly more headaches more stomach aches more like Mm. it's harder to connect with people yeah putting up more walls putting up more walls yeah it's like it's people talk about like autism and masking but i feel like even just in general a lot we mask all the time even if you identify as neurodivergent or neurotypical like we definitely present in a way that we think that we're supposed to present present in different environments. Mm. And sometimes we're expected to show up as always happy Mm. or the listening ear, whatever you show up as. But in reality, you're like, can you please give me a moment to breathe? I don't need to be anything but a person. And right now I'm asking you if I can take off this mask, take off this, this weight and just just be myself yeah we're not robots definitely not we're not robots and that's okay like our emotions is how we connect with people Mm -hmm. that's how we learn to trust who we know to trust and who we learn not to to not trust yeah it's based off our emotions and instincts and the further connected you are from your emotions the further connected you are from your instincts that goes into like making bad decisions having bad friends Mm -hmm. all these different things just because you won't acknowledge a hard feeling in the moment will have repercussions later and i simply just don't see that as worth it (laughs) definitely not yeah it's you lose yourself in yeah in that pretense because you'll get to a moment for me like covid was definitely that moment like Mm -hmm. i had to sit with myself for the first time in a while with no distractions and be like who am i 
Mm-hmm. What is it that I am taking? Like, it's still a journey of like unlearning, but it's like, yeah, what is what am I doing that is not me, but it's something I've been told I have to do? Yeah, what is outside of that? What can I be that is actually that resonates with me as a person and not, yeah, in the back of your head, you're going, Oh, I should be doing this because my mom, blah yeah. blah blah, or my friend wants me to blah blah blah. It's like, I'm doing this for me, mm-hmm. and if. Either the people that love you will always support you yes. when it comes to helping yourself. Even if it, even if it's like, oh, you may not be around that much. Like if they know yeah. you're working on yourself and they love you, they'll allow that. Anybody that is upset that you're working on yourself is it's not, not they're not for you. No, not saying that the person necessarily needs to understand, but they, Mm-mm. they, I feel like the people who who really love you and really honor you would give you the space they'll respect and or and or not give you the space if that's what you're looking for oh sure so just like just supporting you in whatever way they can best support you and sometimes you have to tell people how to support you that's that's a big thing i learned sometimes we don't even know how to support ourselves exactly and it's it's a learning experience because you know like it doesn't really make sense that you know like if we're adults like how if if you don't mind asking if I, how old are you? 22. 22, okay. <laughs> I'm 26. It's okay. So for the first, like, I'll say 23 years of my life, I had no clue how to ask people how to support me. I knew I wanted to be supported, but then realizing, and it was honestly going through being a teacher, going through my master's education, now being a therapist, all mm-hmm. these different things mm-hmm. where I learned like, oh, I have to tell people. Mm-hmm. Like this is how I want to be taken care of, mm-hmm. and that's that's very intimidating. You can't read your mind. At all. People can't read your mind mm-hmm. as much as you want them to. Mm-hmm. Even your best friend, even like your your partner, even the people who birthed you, like they don't. Even people that have known your own life, they don't necessarily know how to take care of you. Mm-hmm. They don't know necessarily know how to support you. Mm-hmm. And sometimes a part of the work, a part of the self care, is telling people, "I want to be supported in this way," or actually. I don't like it when you do this. I know you mean well, mm-hmm. but maybe you shouldn't do this. Setting up boundaries. Yeah, setting up boundaries. Yeah. Ba- I love boundaries. Same. I love boundaries. Same. I feel like it's so important for you to establish with people because I found that before mm-hmm. um, in some of my relationships, I found that I was saying, okay, if anybody else did this, it'd be fine. But if you do, or it would not mm. work with me. But if you do it, it's okay. It's like, yeah. no, that is a boundary exactly. I'm putting up for myself. And it applies to everyone, regardless of what your status is exactly. in my life and regardless of where you fall. Mm-hmm. I come first. Like, I exactly. am the one that I am here to take care of. Exactly. First. And I think sometimes, like, as people, especially women, especially when, um, darker-skinned women of color, mm-hmm. uh, we, we're, we're caught up in intention over impact. Oh, that, yeah. You know, because, like, oh, yeah, of course someone that you love doesn't, they don't mean to hurt you, they don't mean to not support you mm-hmm. in the right way. Of course they, of course they don't mean to, mm-hmm. but they did. Mm-hmm. And now you're feeling a type of way. Mm-hmm. And just because they didn't mean to... Because they couldn't read your mind. Mm-hmm. Now you can't hold them accountable or even tell them, hey, I didn't like it when you did this. Yes. It's hard. It's, yes. I'm not saying any of this. It's a, it's a learning experience. It's, we're all learning. Like we're, we're all unlearning all these things. At least, let me speak for myself. Mm-hmm. I'm unlearning all these things that I learned the first 23 years of my life. Mm-hmm. And now I'm only three years into, like even then, like is it really three years? Or is it actually <laughs> just six months? I don't know. Yeah. But I am, I spent a lot more time doing the thing that wasn't helpful. And now I'm just learning, still learning what I need and like want from relationships in order to feel fulfilled, in order to feel supported, Mm -hmm. in order to feel held and all these different things. Mm -hmm. And a part of it is a little loneliness, a little sitting with yourself Mm -hmm. and that's okay. And you know, it is scary being lonely or being alone or being alone with your thoughts. But if you're able to overcome your thoughts, oh, like, there's so much you can do. The world really opens. Yeah. The thing that I try to remind myself is that you're always thinking. Yes. Your brain is always picking up on, like, mm. stimulant. Your brain is paying attention to things exactly. that you aren't even actually exactly. consciously paying attention to. That is true. So... 
you are going to be having thoughts a mile a minute, whatever. And if you eat up every single one of those thoughts, you're going to be so exhausted. Exactly. Like, if you right now want some time to meditate, let's say, mm-hmm. you take that time and you don't even, you observe your thoughts and you say, thank you, brain, for giving me this thought, but no thank you i don't need this i don't need this right now let it go and just allow for me like i focus on my breathing Mm. you find like a point of fixation i feel like that helps so if you're working with like overthinking like we can be coloring Mm. focus on that one thing you're putting your um your concentration on that thing so your brain isn't Mm-hmm. all over the place or are you just paying attention to that one thing so exactly. everything's like playing in the background sort of exactly you know like it's about learning not to hold on and ruminate to thoughts mm-hmm. so that's why meditation is so important and you know i'm i'll say i am not good at meditating i'm not good at sitting still and with my thoughts i am not at all so when i do quote unquote meditate it's mostly like yoga because like i don't know what it is but the fact of like doing slow movements, mm-hmm. stretching, all these mm-hmm. different things, and being able to focus on my body yeah. instead of like, and like, not saying like thoughts still come through, and yeah, I just try yeah. to let them go and things like that. Like, pretend like they're like a bubble and like just pop it, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, it really, really helps. Yeah. So, not saying like meditate, like no two people's meditation is going to look the same. I was about to say, like, and that's okay. Meditation isn't always sitting cross legged in the middle of a floor. Yes, and um, I was about to say, yeah. and chanting, um, like, it can look like a lot of different things. Like, exactly. meditation can be journaling, meditation yeah. can be drawing. painting, drawing, meditation can be even shower meditation. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's like, whatever works like if someone has adhd yeah it's it may be really hard for them to slow their mind down and begin with just sitting still Mm. yoga may be working up to meditation and then they may try a shower meditation they may try even a day without music Mm. something that allows them to just focus on what is around them and not trying to drown that out or yeah exactly yeah okay and another question sure. that we have is what are some ways that you infuse cultural practices into therapeutic practices? Because mm-hmm. um, I know that the field of therapy is yep. very white. The P- I don't know what to say. We'll say Caucasian we'll dominated. Say. Um, <laughs> I... I haven't been to my therapist in a while, but my therapist currently is white. Yeah. Um, and I am in psychology and I see everybody in my class is white. Yeah. Um, so I know that it is a white dominated field, but how do you I guess practice? Yeah, it's it's difficult because I mean, as you probably know, like everyone that we study, all of the um theories and all of the practices and all of the like Research papers, they're done by and for white people, usually by and for affluent, male, straight, um, what's it called, Um, uh, what's it called, cisgendered people. So High class. And that that reflects usually the teacher and our classmates and all Mm -hmm. these different things. And I remember, I've always had this feeling, but um, I did both my undergrad and my master's in social work. Mm -hmm. And... um, we always talk about different forms of therapy and like all these different things. And I noticed that let's say we're talking about like narrative therapy or CBT therapy mm-hmm. or like DBT mm-hmm. or all these different types of therapy. It's like, okay, we'll talk about the therapy. And then on the side, there's culturally inclusive ways mm-hmm. to talk about. And I always have been very skeptical, angry, upset about annoyed. That annoyed mm-hmm. by that because it's like no because because the more that i practice therapy um being like now in the therapist chair mm-hmm. um the more i realize that you know people of color we have always had the tools it's just that you know if you if you think even throughout the history of colonization it was always white people who are writing things down like mm-hmm. it was people of color that transmitted um uh, information orally mm-hmm. and it's only very recently that things are written down as because yeah. of colonization and yeah. globalization and things yeah. like that so 
it may, so that's even another part. It makes it seem that psychology, that that mental health, all these different things are unattainable. Oh yeah, because definitely. they're written down and they were written down and and um, studied about for um, like for only a certain kind of people and people that don't look like us. So back to your question, how do I include <laughs> culturally inclusive ways um, of practice? Is that I really highlight people's strengths that mm. you know because um, something I learned is that. I mean, maybe this is controversial, but a lot of white <laughs> people don't have community. Oh, yeah, A lot definitely, of, they, yeah. they don't have community that is very, they're also very individualistic, things mm-hmm. like that. And in these studies, in these um, therapies, I think they play down the, the importance of community mm-hmm. um, to someone's healing that, you know, even in therapy, it seems like, okay, only you're the problem, you have to fix yourself to da-da-da, all you can control is yourself. When... That's, that's not necessarily true. Like, mm-hmm. you can control your impact on a community. You can control what you say to other people. Maybe mm-hmm. that in, invokes change. Mm-hmm. So how I include um, culturally specific ways, I ask people, you know, what do you like about yourselves? What do you mm-hmm. what do you like about your community? And really just trying to bring that back to the forefront and remind them that you have this wealth that is your community. You were not born out of nothing. You were born into... Mm-hmm. And that's everybody, even white people. Even if they don't want to believe that they were born into a community, you were. Mm-hmm. That, you know... Community can even be considered your parents. Like, yeah, that exactly. is a small community. A, yeah. Like, your community could be your parents. It could be your video game community. It could be, mm-hmm. like, the club you go to. It could mm-hmm. be, like, the park you go to every whatever day and you see the same kind of people. Mm-hmm. Like, it's... It's people that you 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 want to join in with, and people that you know you feel close and important to, and that's going to look different for other people um, from people to people. Mm-hmm. But it's it's I feel like it's kind of hard to exactly say how I include like culturally like culture mm-hmm. into my practice. Like, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I t- uh, in my practice I talk about myself a lot because mm-hmm. I think like. Um, because especially, especially, especially when I work with, like, uh, younger girls, mm-hmm. I talk about myself a lot because I, like, I struggled with mental health growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, also, like, my parent, um, I'm a child of immigrants, so mm-hmm. that's a whole, that's a whole other set of things mm-hmm. of, like, you know, you know, you simply, do, like, you're being raised by someone who is not a part of the culture you're now growing up exactly. in. Exactly. And that is exactly. a whole, that is a, that is a mindfuck. And just by talking about myself it's therapeutic for me, but I think it also shows people that, like, you know, you'll be okay. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I I mean, I figured it out-ish, mostly. <laughs> Try my best. And, you know, just being honest with them that, like, I don't have all the answers. Sometimes, like, you have the answer. Or maybe the answer is, like, in your community, and your family. Like, I'm... I love community so much and the importance and people really, in my opinion, play down the importance of community, especially mm-hmm. in the psychology field. Human connection. And that's part of the reason why I didn't do psychology, I did social work. Mm-hmm. So like, um, how do I include culture? I like I really show an interest in people's culture and like where they come from. Mm-hmm. Uh, really trying to understand like like this thought that you have, this belief that you had, mm-hmm. like where did it come like you were taught like every belief that we have, we were taught it. So yeah. truly understanding the origins of it, and then by understanding the origins of it, mm-hmm. you can really deduce: Do I believe in that? Do I not believe in it? And, and you either can one's choose okay. for yourself. You can yeah. choose for yourself. Yeah. Um, I realize, really, like you're saying in psychology, it's very theory, very, very, theory. very like theory based. And um, I've talked to um, this person that I go to school with, and they were saying like they were. In a psych ward, and the way that this mm. this psychiatrist, yeah. this person that went through their psych undergrad, mm-hmm. and then they possibly did their psych masters, masters and then yeah. did a PhD in psych, and they still are incapable of having mm-hmm. actual like human connection because exactly. everything that they're seeing, like they're reading about personality disorders and depression and anxiety from a piece of paper. Yep. That is the only experience they have. So when somebody's yeah. actually experiencing those things, it's like, well, this is the solution. Yep. They're forgetting that there's an actual human that they're interacting with. They're like, okay, problem yeah. is this. Now I diagnose this and everything is going to be okay. Exactly. But, and, uh, that's even one of even my my biggest pet peeve that I always talk about with my <laughs> colleagues. Like people are so so big about getting a diagnosis. Oh yes, and it's it's very. You think f- diagnoses are necessary? 
that's a that's a loaded question but um <laughs> so i think or at least always necessary i'll put it i mean i'll put it like how i put it with um like my clients like mm-hmm. the main reason why i think a diagn why someone i mean maybe i'm wrong maybe someone out there has different experiences with diagnoses but mm-hmm. i'm speaking to this as a former teacher now mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as a therapist mm-hmm. so as a therapist i do not have the power to diagnose mm-hmm. so that's even another thing to keep in mind. I don't even have the power to diagnose even if I wanted to. I would have, Only doctors have the capability mm-hmm, to diagnose. Mm-hmm. And that's that's even a whole other thing because if you think of most people who are doctors, they're white. Mm-hmm. And when they're... So, okay. So, this is how I feel about diagnoses. I feel like the main reason why some... Why the, the pro to diagnosis is that you're able to get accommodations. Mm-hmm. So, let's say you have ADHD or you have some type of um, attention disorder. Mm-hmm. You're able to, like, use a calculator on tests or get a note taker mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or, um, like, get longer time for your test, things like that. Mm-hmm. And if that's the reason for a diagnosis to, like, help you with, like, school, work, interview, I'm like, oh, yeah, sure, get a diagnosis. Yes, yeah, yeah. But, do, but the thing is, like, you don't necessarily need a diagnosis to get, like, certain medications so you don't even need a diagnosis a lot of the times Mm -hmm. and even when I talk to my clients so note that I work with like kids Mm -hmm. when I ask them like oh why are you um because I'll tell you at least 50 to 60 percent of my clients Mm -hmm. I have about how many clients do I have now um in total I'll say about 30 at least 50 percent of my clients so like 15 percent of them so 15 of them half the reason why they started seeing therapy is because they want to get diagnosis and these are kids these are kids so they're seeing that there's something that they think isn't right and they want help so they already see that there's an yes but they want but they're so caught up in getting a diagnosis because i'm not sure i think the we we live in a society where labeling is um more important yeah and sometimes what i tell my clients is that like do you have this disorder rather than um, maybe you're just a normal person going through abnormal situations? Because it makes sense, like, if you're in a stressed time that you're maybe exhibiting um, exhibiting some symptoms that go along with, like, PTSD mm-hmm. or anxiety or mm-hmm. depression or different things like that. Mm-hmm. So I try to focus really on um, symptoms rather than diagnoses because... Mm-hmm. Um, a diagnosis it really pigeonholes people like it really mm-hmm. it really keeps them within a you box you have this so you must behave this way exactly yeah and especially if you th- and another thing i think about and so i personally i if you ask me mariam coker by myself i don't like diagnoses unless it directly has to do with getting someone help to better like their academics or mm-hmm. like all these different things like to get accommodation specifically because you don't even need an ADHD diagnosis to get ADHD medication. medication. Yeah. So not even medication, you know, I don't think you need necessarily a diagnosis for you just need like um, a pattern of symptoms. Mm-hmm. So, so I don't think people necessarily need a diagnosis unless they specifically need like a note taker or something mm-hmm. like that. Because something that you see in the diagnosing world is certain populations of people getting more diagnosed with certain conditions mm-hmm. than others. So, for example, black boys get overdiagnosed for ADHD. Um, women, especially young teenage girls, mm-hmm. they get overdiagnosed for, for um, borderline personality mm-hmm. disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, young men, especially like teenage young men, especially white teenage young men, mm-hmm. they get overdiagnosed for um, narcissistic personality disorders. Mm-hmm. And when I see things like that, that tells me that's more has to do with the clinicians. Yeah. That more has to do with the doctors who are doing the diagnoses mm-hmm. rather than. Like, there's something inherently wrong with teenage white boys. There's a, something inherently yeah. wrong with um, young black boys yeah. that, that they always have this condition. Yeah. And if you think of, like, who are the ones diagnosing, these are older white, white men, people, usually. Yeah. Old, older, cis, straight, yep. white men <laughs> yeah. that um, have been in the field for a long time mm-hmm. before things like uh, cultural competence was a part mm-hmm. of their education. Mm-hmm. So... So I personally don't believe in diagnosing. Okay. Um, I, I I mean, I do hope to get my doctor one day, but I, like, when in getting my doctor, the hope is not to diagnose. I'm okay, not. Okay, yeah. It's just, it's just because, like, you know, for example, I was diagnosed with uh, borderline personality disorder. And when I think about it during that time, was I actually displaying all these things at the same time or during this time when I was diagnosed, I was going through the worst breakup of my life. I was um, 
uh, what else? Uh, I was living in a city. I was living in Montreal. I don't speak French. Mm-hmm. So I was living in Montreal by myself. No Isolation. family. So I was isolated. Yeah. Um, I was anxious every day because uh, everyone around me was only speaking French. Mm-hmm. And so it was hard to go to the grocery store. It was hard to go mm-hmm. to, to everywhere. Mm-hmm. So was it that I actually have borderline personality disorder? Mm-hmm. Or was I a normal person going through abnormal situation? So I tell people don't get like focus more on the symptoms yes because i think uh, and even just talking to my clients the main reason why they want to get diagnosed is because uh they want community they want to find they want to belong yeah exactly like at least 10 of my clients when i ask them like okay like i they know that i'm not i can't diagnose but let's say i told them like let's say i can wave my wand boom you have the diagnosis that you think you have Mm -hmm. okay what does that mean now and most of them say, like, oh, I'm able to connect with my friends better. Oh, I'm able to, like, talk to this person about this thing. Because, like, their friend has whatever diagnosis, whatever, mm-hmm, whatever. Mm-hmm. And that just goes back to me thinking, like, people need community more than anything else. Not yeah. saying that community now will solve every single mental health, mental health issue, all these different things. No. But at least I know for myself, if I was more surrounded uh, by community when I got diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, I probably would have not gotten that diagnosis. That's true, yeah. So just, um, so maybe, I mean, disagree with me. Like, I mean, I'm, no. not just you, but like, I'm talking <laughs> about people who are listening. Like, maybe you have different experiences with diagnoses that made you feel more confident or all these different <clears throat> things. But the main thing I'm seeing with diagnoses is that it kind of, especially getting a diagnosis so young, like, like, um, my my oldest client is 17 so my oldest client is 17 my youngest client is four so the the whole spectrum and even when i was a teacher like i taught uh second six 11 and 12 and i had always had at least one kid no let me take that back i always had at least five kids (laughs) that had that was diagnosed with adhd and a lot of times, um, and to be fair, as a teacher, I mostly taught um, black kids, so a lot of black boys mm-hmm. diagnosed with ADHD. Mm-hmm. And what I saw it as was um, a lot of things that I saw is that teachers, even their parents, even other people around them just give up on them. That was like, oh, they can't do that. Because, because they, they have, have this, yeah. So that's why I'm very, very weary of um, AD- I mean, of uh, any diagnoses mm-hmm. because it. I feel like, it's it's like a death sentence kind of you know and I, that, yeah. I can't tell you how many boys especially black boys that i saw that gave up on themselves as soon as they got their diagnosis that is like well there's no point to trying because like i'll I always can, I'll, yeah. i can't i'll always be this way mm-hmm. like nothing's gonna like all these different things and it and now they're not able to use their own strengths not able to use their community not use mm-hmm. able to use like their their love of things to get them out of something because of these four letters. Yeah. And so I'm not a diagnose. I, I'm not for diagnosing. No. Okay. Unless it directly correlates with getting like, you know, testing accommodations or yeah. like work accommodations. I find that diagnoses are normally very highly linked to medication. Yeah. So it's like, how do I get you from this state to a normative functioning state so it's what even is normative exactly what is exact because because that's even another thing i i saw a lot like um because i worked in a lot of low-income communities Mm -hmm. and it was these normal boys Mm -hmm. these normal kids Mm -hmm. who are facing poverty homelessness Mm -hmm. um food uh food insecurity um like parent incarceration parent drug use all these different things Mm -hmm. and like, are they acting out because they're acting out or are they acting out because they're traumatized? That's true. And it's like, you're not addressing the trauma. You're just giving them a pill. Yeah. And the thing is like, yeah, like medication is easier because it is. Yeah. it's easier. It's a lot more accessible. It's so easy to get medicated. I mean, I'm medicated mm-hmm. and not saying medication doesn't help. It mm-hmm. definitely does help. Mm-hmm. But medication shouldn't be the end all be all. Yeah. Because like, let's say, you know. For example, like, let's say, like, I know one day I want to have kids. Like, I want to be pregnant. I'll have to stop taking my medication. Mm-hmm. Then it's like, okay, how do I cope? For months. For months. With, oh. Over, over months. Well, a, yes, a of course, yeah. At least two years because yeah. there's also breastfeeding. I was about to say, yeah. Exactly. So it's like, 
we're so caught up in these temporary solutions that people now don't know how to take care of themselves. And I'm caught up in it too. Everybody is because we don't know as a society how to take care of ourselves or take care of each other mm-hmm. without the involvement of a label or, you know, pills. Not saying that those things don't help. They definitely do help. Like, they definitely help people better understand themselves and, you know, take more agency over their lives and have, like, emotional regulation and things mm-hmm. like that. But it should be that and, not just That's that. true. Yeah. yeah. It's, like you said, it's not really teaching them how to cope. It's just giving them, like, a Band-Aid. Yep. I heard somebody say it was, like, yesterday, putting a Band-Aid over a gunshot wound. Yes. It's like... There's so much more. There's like shrapnel. There's like stuff inside of the wound that you have exactly. to get out before it can heal. Exactly. So you're just putting it there and it's just going to fester. Exactly. And it's it's probably not going to help as much as there. Yeah. Like it helps at the moment. Like, yeah, now I'm able to like go to work every day and like, mm-hmm. you know, um, stay calm in like stressful situations mm-hmm. and things like that. But I know in the long run, like my emotions... Like, my emotional regulation is something I will have to address eventually. Because, like, everything that's in me is going to be in my kid. And I even see, like, parts of, like, not just myself because nothing happens in a vacuum, but even, like, the anxiety that I have, I see it in my mom, I see it in my sister, and now I'm seeing it in my sister's kids. Mm -hmm. So it's like, oh, crap, like, it's it's still going to happen, and... Not saying that my, I don't, like, I necessarily don't want my nieces to be on medication. I want them to be able to handle their emotions. But mm-hmm. if we don't know how to handle their emotions, I mean, our emotions, how can they, we teach? You can't. Yeah. You can't. That's why, like, I feel like people talking about gentle parenting, gentle parenting. People make a joke of it, but I feel like gentle parenting is just about allowing your child to be a child allowing the child to be a person and acknowledging that at age two the child's probably going to make a mess and they're probably going to break things and they're probably going to do things that aren't appropriate in like exactly and then your job now is to not scold them but redirect Mm. them towards Mm. a more Another way that yeah. that you believe would be more beneficial for them to learn in that situation. Mm-hmm. So it's not about hitting your kid. Yeah. It's not about yelling at them. It's about saying, mm-hmm. okay, we're in the grocery store. We don't yell in the grocery store. Mm-hmm. Or something. It doesn't have to be the grocery store. That's yeah. probably a bad idea. But like, a, like telling them, like, okay, this is not... Mm-hmm. what we do but acknowledging like i know that like you want this or i know that you need this right now but mm-hmm. we're gonna finish and then we're gonna do this yeah like acknowledging their emotions exactly. before we kind of like shut but, them down yeah. and say, stop yelling exactly. like yeah or even just invalidating them like oh you have nothing to cry about mm-hmm. so like it because it, a part of a lot of the work that i do is parent coaching and you know it's helping parents realize you have your own trauma and you have your own like things that you're coming in with and these misconceptions um, about what a child ought to do, um, what a parent ought to do, all these different things because you don't know any better. You know, this is your first time having a whatever age year old in the time that we're in and all these different things and giving them grace, especially mothers. I see this so much with moms. Um, being a mother is a thankless job. That's something. Uh, I love all the moms that I work with. They they are trying their best, and they're so hard on themselves. They're so hard on themselves. Like, I have this one mom. Her kid has, like, a lot of anger issues, mm-hmm. and she just doesn't know how to deal with it because mm-hmm. when she and when she experienced, like, a lot of anger issues when she was a kid, mm-hmm. her parents just beat her and yelled at her. Mm-hmm. And, she re- and I commend her for refusing to continue that, mm-hmm. for ending that... Um, that generational curse right with mm-hmm. her. But the but the other part is that she has no idea what to do instead. Yeah. Because, you know... That's she, all she... That's all you know. Yeah. Like, you, you learn being a parent from your parents yeah. and how you were raised. Mm-hmm. So a part of my coaching with her is teaching her, like, it's okay that you don't know what to do. It's okay that you're getting frustrated. It's okay to get angry at your kid. Mm-hmm. But learning how to express your anger in a healthy way, way yeah. and also showing your kid how to express their anger mm-hmm. in a healthy way. So it's okay that your kid sees you angry. It's not okay to yell. 
And if you do yell, it's very important to apologize mm-hmm. and to let them know why you yelled. Mm-hmm. So then that shows your kid that it's okay to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. It's okay to be angry, but mm-hmm. it's not okay to yell, hit all these different things. Mm-hmm. So it's it's so much, so much. I don't even remember the question that we were on. Honestly, me neither. <laughs> oh so we're going to do one last one. Yeah. Which is just, is there anything that you would like to say to anyone that is... Going through something hard mm-hmm. right now, going through their own journey, something that mm-hmm. they may be able to hold on to yeah. while the waters are a little a little Oof. rough. There's so much I want to say, but mm. I think the main thing that I'm still learning is that healing, one, healing is a lifelong process. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I remember when I first, when my therapist told me that, I broke down and cried. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? I have to do this forever? <laughs> and... That is because it's so intimidating because life can be so long. Mm -hmm. And I think another part of it is that healing is will not look like the person next to Mm -hmm. you. And healing Mm -hmm. is like what's it called? Healing is a squiggly line. It's y'all. It's not a lot. It's not a straight line. It's not not a curved line. It's not a circle. Mm -hmm. It is pure squiggles. And sometimes it'll go back to the beginning and and go around. And And, you know, your healing journey is always going to be worth it. It's always going to be worth it, even if you have bad days, because over time, the hope is that you have your bad days are more time in between them. And, you know, just really surround yourself with people that really love you Mm -hmm. and that you love that, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that in mental health, we really underplay the power of community, Mm -hmm. really, really um, understate how important it is to to talk we to people in not just a therapist society. but people that's around you about what you're going through mm-hmm. um and i think that's because go back to capitalism like <laughs> capitalism te- capitalism teaches us that our problems are our own rather than this problem that i have other people have probably experienced it too yeah it so isolates us it isolates us mm-hmm. so what i'll tell people you know like don't isolate yourself if you don't have to even if like you're going on like a forum on reddit like Mm. like there's not like community will look different and and i feel like i hear this a lot from older people so i'm one of the youngest people in my practices Mm -hmm. so like there's always like um i call myself a zillennial i was born (laughs) in 96 so like i'm right on the cusp Mm -hmm. so like i do like yeah i have my millennial moments but i definitely have my gen z moments Mm -hmm. and this conversation i always end up having with my colleagues is like oh um community online isn't real yes it is yes yes it is is. and i tricked myself into believing that community online wasn't real so to the point that i stopped relying on my online community Mm -hmm. and i realized that um with that i stopped like writing i stopped mm-hmm. doing a lot of different things because i got the invalidation that online community isn't real this isn't real like, so why yeah exactly yeah. so even if your community does not look like how it's supposed to look mm-hmm. or quote-unquote how it's supposed to look mm-hmm. or doesn't look how you know maybe people older than you's community looks like mm-hmm. all these different things doesn't mean it's not community exactly it doesn't mean it's not valid. yeah so yeah surround yourself with love and there's nothing nothing wrong with being sad for a day of course or being angry yes. for a day or all these different things it's better to to to, keep, to let it out than keep it in always always yeah um, i would say that mine is that you are not a fix it up project you do mm. not always have to be oh i gotta find the next thing to heal i gotta dig 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 yeah you can take a moment to enjoy life yeah take a moment to say i am a human give yourself compassion yeah. give yourself grace it's not something you like you said it's a lifelong journey you can't rush through it anyway exactly. so stop and smell the roses once in a while yeah find gratitude 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 gratitude, gratitude. gratitude. find um something to be thankful for in the moment because if you were at point a and now you're at point a point one (laughs) be grateful grateful. because at point a you were feeling a certain way and now you feel a little bit of relief yeah and you just keep little destinations along along the way exactly and you know be grateful that you're at point a like you're at somewhere you know you could have been in negative region you could have been in negative region and like 
yeah gratitude 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 yes 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 yeah try to practice gratitude as much as i can because even in small ways even in small ways like i'm i'm so grateful that to have this conversation with you i've been I'm wanting grateful to connect with you for oh a while. my god i'm grateful for you sitting down and yeah because yeah. i really like you said community yeah community i'm yeah. finding the people that vibe with me so i'm i need to connect with all of them yeah yeah and just remembering you know different ways to connect with community because it you know sometimes you have to do the thing you in your mind you don't want to do like, you ever gone somewhere where before it's like, oh, I don't want to go, and then you end up having a good time? <laughs> I think that's how, like, you know, being with community is. That, yeah. like, you have to start somewhere. somewhere. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, maybe it's going to turn out to be a lot better than you think. Yeah. You never know. There's always hope out there. That's something I learned. There's always, always hope, and there's always someone that believes in you. Maybe someone that you'll never meet in real life. Maybe yeah. they're on the internet maybe all these different things but there's someone out there that believes in you but first you have to we have to work on believing in ourselves yeah i mean while you're on that journey you find that person you thank them for believing in you and you show them your gratitude by learning to believe in yourself something i always uh do when i'm like feeling kind of low on myself i think Mm -hmm. about someone who loves me very very much Mm -hmm. and i think about like what would they have to say about me yeah like what would they say is their favorite thing about me so i always think about my nieces i love my nieces so much they're so adorable and i always think about you know they think i'm a good auntie Mm -hmm. they think i'm fun and all these different things and Mm -hmm. i am (laughs) and that's great and sometimes it's like we're shamed for saying good things about ourselves but you're like i'm a good i'm a good auntie i'm a good person these kids love me i try my best i'm smart like all these different things yeah big up yourself always yeah you got to be your biggest supporter all the time even if you're lying to yourself that day, you don't feel like it. A little like, delusion. <laughs> sometimes me a little bit of delusion. Just a little bit of delusion just to make it through the day. Oh my God. That's okay. Sometimes make it to you, you make it too. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, Miriam, thank you. Thank you. For spending time with me. Of course. Um, this was a very lovely conversation. Very yeah. insightful. Um, and you're probably going to be back on yeah, the show. Yeah, maybe. Now I'm around. So... Until next time. Until next time. I love you guys so, so much. And we'll catch you in the next episode. Bye. Bye.